Lord God, we come before you today as, as your sons and daughters adopted into your family. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we need you, that we depend upon you. Lord, as we've studied over the many weeks and months, we also know that uh, we are here in uh, a battle, a battle um, as instruments of your peace, a battle to further your kingdom. Lord, you've given us the tools that we need to engage in this battle. We know that this battle is yours and that uh, we're fighting for victory. Heavenly Father, as we consider prayer this morning, we pray that uh, you would give us uh, insight, that your spirit would uh, shed some light on the tool that you've given us, the weapon of prayer, as we discuss spiritual warfare and how we can use prayer uh, to do what you would have us do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here we are. Um, we're getting towards the end of our discussion on spiritual warfare, and uh, this is the first lesson that I'm teaching. I intended to teach earlier, but I got really caught up in in a big case at work, and so uh, Nate fortunately was able to cover for me in the times when I was hoping to be up here a little bit earlier, but it uh, seemed like it worked out pretty well. So um, we've obviously gone through uh, a number of classes this year. The first section of our classes were on spiritual disciplines, and uh, as part of that, you may recall that um, Chris had us uh, read the book um, by Donald Whitney, and that uh, the book had actually a whole chapter on prayer. And we talked about prayer. I don't know if, uh, you know, Chris's teaching helped us and encouraged us and actually caused us to, to pray more. That's uh, my prayer that that is the case, that uh, we're all devoted to prayer and we're increasingly uh, praying to our Lord and Savior. Um, we also, in the spiritual gifts um, class, talked about prayer again. Uh, and there you may recall that as we itemized and identified the various uh, spiritual gifts, and we took kind of an inventory of our congregation and the gifts that people have that we uh, identified the gift of intercessory prayer. And uh, there were a number of people that uh, have that gift. I think Anna Hitchcock came up here and spoke to us about intercessory prayer and, and her gift in that area and how she prays for people and, and others do as well. So this all ties together as we think about uh, the Lord's kingdom and, and how all the pieces fit together. We know that Prayer is a, a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual gift. And now we're going to learn about prayer being a weapon in spiritual warfare. Um, what is prayer? You know, it's interesting. As believers, we sometimes view a certain reality, and that reality is very different from the world. It's just like the Bible tells us about two different types of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. There's different ways of looking at reality, and I'm afraid that often we look at reality from our perspective, it, it's, a, it's, it's tainted by sin. It, it's, a, it's a reality that doesn't start from the Lord's reality or God's reality, but it's a reality of, of the world around us and sometimes an unbelieving heart, okay? And I think that applies to, to, to many different areas, and I think it applies to prayer. So when we look at prayer... You know, prayer, just like a lot of things we believers do, seems strange to the world, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, how can you imagine that, you know, sitting there quietly or standing there quietly and praying to a God that you cannot see physically, how can that be valuable to anything you do? 
right? Um, so it, it's one of those many things that seems like it's strange to the world, and I think sometimes our tendency is to adopt the world's perspective on something like prayer. And so we don't take prayer seriously. We don't use prayer. We belittle the power of prayer. And I think at times we, 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 we pray with less faith than we should have. Um, so I'd encourage you as we consider this lesson here today and, and, and prayer that we try to think of God's reality, okay, and not the world's reality. There are so many things that we as believers need to view from God's reality because that really is the way it's supposed to be. That is the true reality, okay? And, and, and the unbelieving world's reality tainted by sin is not the way it's supposed to be. So whereas we're aliens in this world and we're strangers, we still need to look at something like prayer and say, Frankly, that is the reality. That is God's reality. That's the reality of the world we live in. And it's not something that we should belittle or not use. It's something that's real and powerful and definite. I also want to mention that prayer, like so many other things that we believe in, is something that's very available and it's kind of elementary. You know, you think about things like water for baptism and you think about, you know, bread and wine for the Lord's Supper, okay? Our sacraments. These were established 2,000 years ago. And it's amazing that the Lord God had the wisdom to use elements that weren't something that would become extinct or scarce or inaccessible to us. You think of some of the most basic things on the earth and water and bread and wine are available to just about anyone, anywhere. And so it's by the Lord's providence, that he chose water, for example, as what we use in baptism, as opposed to some, you know, weird little fruit in some jungle in the Amazon that we have to go search out and find and then sprinkle a little bit on us, right? As some other religions do. No, we don't have that. We don't have that problem. We don't have that inaccessibility. We've got something that are common elements that are available to us. And I think similarly, prayer is like that, Okay. Um, prayer is something that is available to us anytime, anywhere. Just like water is available if we need to baptize someone and bread and wine are available if, if, if we participate in communion, prayer is always there. It's always there available to us. And it's free. We don't have to pay anything for prayer. You know, it's not like you have to shell out some money or actually go work somewhere to Get the money so that you can pray, so that you can go ahead and, you know, talk to your God. Um, it, it's free. It's available. So then as we look at prayer and we think about it, we've got to scratch our heads and say, so why is it so hard for us? You know, we got this thing that God has given us called prayer, and we don't use it. Why? Why? It's so easy. And, you know, I think it really comes down to our hearts. And that is we fail to remember that we depend upon God, and it's not us, it's God. And we fail to take what God has told us seriously. We've, we, and we're, I think sometimes we're just plain lazy. We just don't use the power of prayer like we should. So <clears throat> prayer is, and I wrote this down here, I think it's a two-way communication available to anyone, anytime, anywhere for free. 
And I added, it's also a way to commune openly and secretly with God. So if you think about warfare, okay, and you're going to take out the, you know, rocket launcher, or you're going to take out the grenade, or you're going to take out, you know, the flamethrower, okay, you, you, you go into your arsenal and you pull out this weapon, and it's obvious that you've got this weapon that you're going to use in the warfare. One of the beauties of prayer is that it's a secret weapon, you know? I'm not saying that we have to pray in secret, but when we are in spiritual warfare, when we are in conflict, it's something that you can engage in immediately without anyone knowing. It is more than available at your fingertips. It's in your head. It's in your mind. And you can immediately resort to prayer. You don't have to pick something up. You don't have to look, you know, put in a clip or cock anything. You're just ready to go. It's, it's like having a loaded gun at any time that you can use at any point to pull that trigger in that spiritual warfare. So it really is an amazing, amazing tool. And prayer is also something whereby we communicate with the Creator God. And think about that. <clears throat> you know, it's, it, it's our God that created this world. Again, talking about the reality that we live in. We live in God's reality, okay? We don't live in the world's reality. If the Creator God who made this world is available to us on moment's notice, isn't that an amazing thing? And we can refer to him, we can commune with him, we can talk to him immediately. So the God that made this entire world, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what the spiritual warfare or the spiritual conflict, you have God there. He's the one that created this world. There is nothing more powerful than our God. And so it doesn't matter what situation you are in, he's there for you, and he's powerful, and he can take care of the situation. You know, as, as I was doing this study, I was wondering to myself, well, was there prayer before the fall? Um, you know, we hear about God walking in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? And, you know, Enoch walked with God. We know that, and then Enoch was no more. And I always pictured Adam and Eve being that way, too, that they walked with God before the fall. And God was just there, and they communed with him on a regular basis, and he was there. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I was driving in this morning. I was thinking, well, what about the other weapons that we've talked about? The weapon of faith, the weapon of salvation. Well, some of those, I think, were not weapons, quote, weapons that we had before the fall, right? Because we didn't need salvation. You know, Genesis 3.15 came after the fall. So before that, there wasn't, quote, salvation. I think God probably had it in mind that salvation would be forthcoming. But at that point, there was no sin. There was no need for salvation. And so I was wondering about that with respect to prayer as well. And that is, I kind of view Adam and Eve as walking in the garden, walking and talking with God, you know, regularly. He was there. I don't know what his presence looked like or appeared like, but I think he was there. So did Adam and Eve pray before the fall? I don't know. You know, part of me says maybe they didn't. And then part of me says, well, maybe they did. Um, and then the question is, well, what is prayer? You know, the, the, the Bible tells us to pray unceasingly. And I think for those of us who are, you know, mature in the faith, I think we just do that, right? We just pray to the Lord as we're walking day by day. It's not like we sit down and fold our hands and, okay, now it's time for prayer and we pray. 
That's not what we do, right? It's like during the day, it's like, like, Lord, thank you for that. Help me with this. Please protect that person. Lord, work in their hearts, soften their hearts, mold and shape them. You know, we, we, we just talk to God. And I'm assuming that that talking is, is, is not as, you know, direct as it was with Adam and Eve before the fall. I think that sin has tainted that, has poisoned that. So we can't talk to God. Enoch was an exception. You know, I wish I was Enoch. I wish I could, you know, walk and talk with the Lord and then be no more. Um, but we don't have that ability because Satan has tainted our world. So as, as, as I thought about prayer and the weapon of prayer, I thought to myself, well, was that before the fall or was it not? And, and I haven't concluded anything on that. I'm leaning towards prayer as a new weapon to, given to us post-fall, but it's not that much different from how Adam and Eve communicated with God before the fall. <clears throat> yes? The little boys and girls, yep. You know, I, I think you're right, Tim. Um, you know, you read James, and I think I have the verse in here somewhere. It says, yeah, under effective prayer number one, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I love that verse. You know, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And, and how do we do that? Well, prayer is, I think, the number one way to do that. And, yeah, as we develop that relationship with God, as that faith becomes stronger and stronger, we just do it. You know, it's, it's not a chore. It's not an exercise. I mean, we talk about it as a spiritual discipline, and I don't belittle that at all. I think it is something that we need to work on because we haven't arrived yet. But I also believe as, as mature believers, as we mature in the faith, it becomes a natural thing, you know. To, to, to me, prayer is amazing because it's like, it's, it's not like picking up the cell phone to call your mom halfway across the country because you haven't talked to her for a while, okay? I, I think it's more than that. And I also don't think it's a one-way communication. I think it's two-way communication. I think as we pray, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we hear from God, okay? It, and, and so to me, it's, it's almost like being at your desk all the time and, you know, maybe I'm old school here, but having your speakerphone on, right? And God's on the line, and at any point in time while you're working or doing whatever you're doing, he's there, you know, 24-7. He's always there. So it's a communal thing. You're communicating with God on a regular basis, and, and it's a two-way thing. It's not something where, you know, you pick up the phone. And, and I think there is one of the caveats, and that is when we are talking to God, when we are in prayer, I think it's a slap in the face. It's an insult to God when we don't take it seriously. You know, I find myself at times with my mind wandering while I'm in prayer. And then all of a sudden I have to check myself and say, I'm not in prayer anymore. You know, I'm somewhere else. This isn't appropriate. It's like calling your mom for Mother's Day and then you're, you know, on your computer while you're on the phone with her and you're looking up the latest news on the internet, you know, and you're not actually talking to her. That's an insult to your mother. And I think the same thing is with respect to God. I think when we talk to God, he wants to hear from us. He wants us engaged. He wants us there. 
okay? He doesn't want our thoughts and our minds and our heart being somewhere else looking at a computer screen. He wants us with him. <clears throat> you know, the, we talked about the different realities, and, and I've heard this phrase before, you know, in, in the press sometimes when there's a tragic or event or disaster. I think I heard it once when a bunch of miners were trapped in a cave. And they say, well, all we can do is pray. You know, and, and to me, that kind of bothers me, okay? Because it, it's almost like there's nothing we can do. A few people are praying, you know, good luck with that. All we can do is pray. But then if you look, it's kind of a continuum. You've got that on one side, right? All we can do is pray, a faithless type view of prayer, versus Jesus, when the disciples couldn't cast out the one demon, remember? He said this type can only come out with prayer. Okay, so here you've got the world looking at it as something kind of a joke, kind of a last resort, not even an option. It's just there that people are wasting their time doing versus Jesus saying, we've got demons folks out there in spiritual warfare that you can defeat with prayer. Okay, and as you think about prayer, I'd encourage you to think about this continuum from the completely faithless, there's nothing there, why are you wasting your time, to you can defeat, you know, certain demons with prayer that otherwise there's no way, no possible way that you can defeat in the Lord's name. So think about where on that continuum you are with your faith with respect to prayer. Are you leaning towards the faithless who say, yeah, you know, if I get really in a pinch, that's when I'm going to pray, and boy, I sure hope God shows up, versus I know that my Redeemer lives, Right? And it doesn't matter who I am standing up against, who I am opposing, whether it's principalities or spiritual forces, the dark forces that we really can't see, I know that I can defeat whatever that is using prayer. Yes, Doug. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that that this is anybody else's problem. Uh, maybe it is, but uh, I'm I'm just coming clean. Um, well, we probably all struggle with it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I oftentimes, you know, people will, you know, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's in a conversation or something, and some situation comes up, and I said, and I'll say. I, Mm-hmm. When, but man, I sometimes sit there in the middle of my prayer saying, does it matter at all 
not touch to the Lord? I don't know. I mean, I know in my head that all of that stuff matters. And I believe that God is a prayer answering God. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not it. But there's some disconnect for me in there. And I don't know whether it's just satanic attack or, or whatever. And boy, I, I, I sure would like to be able to get my arms around this thing because uh, I do pray. Mm -hmm. Would you take care of that? Would you be glorified in that? Uh, that kind of stuff. I think that's prayer. Um, but still, it just, uh, it's this big nebulous thing to me. You know, I don't know. I don't even open my mouth. No, it's good. I, I think it's a struggle we all face, you know, and, and we're may, maybe all at different stages in that walk and in that, that faith exercise and growth. Um, you know, if you think about, for example, Elijah, you know, and his servant, for example, you know, Elijah first prayed that there be a drought, or God told him there'd be a drought, and years and years went by, and it was a drought, and it was dry, and it was bad. Um, and then Elijah prayed for rain, right? And he said to his servant, well, go check on the horizon towards the sea, and tell me if there's any rain coming up, okay? And the servant went. And there was nothing there. Okay? And that's kind of where you're at sometimes in your prayers. There's nothing there. You're like, where's the results? God, I'm praying to you. Where are the results? Hello? You know, you're on that, that speakerphone. Hello, is anybody there? You know, I can't see you. So I don't know if you're there. Well, you know, rest assured, God is there. Yeah. Um, it's never quite that bad. Yeah. But, uh, yeah I, I know. <laughs> and, and, and just going back to my, my story, you know, with Elijah. How many times did he send his servant out, right? Seven times, right? And the seventh time, the servant said, well, Elijah, you know, well, master, I, I see what appears to be a man's hand in the horizon, okay? It took seven times for him to go back and look and find and seek and actually finally discover. And I think that's a lesson for all of us, okay, in terms of the persistence of prayer, you know, we don't give up. We don't just check one time on the horizon and say, okay, you know, God, you weren't there for me. I'm moving on. You know, I'm giving up on this one. Um, and I think Jericho's the same way. Now, Jericho wasn't necessarily about prayer. Maybe, I'm, I'm assuming people were praying. You know, but there with Jericho, seven times again. You know, Elijah the servant is seven times. Jericho is seven times. March around the city. And, you know, talk about the world looking at us believers as strange. The people in Jericho must have really thought these people are bizarre. You know, look at these guys out here, you know. I mean, today, look at these Christians praying. You know, what a joke. They have no power in that. And in Jericho, look at these people marching around our well-built walls and cities. You know, no one can touch us. Seven times around they went, and then finally, boom, you know, it fell. And I think the same thing applies, you know, going back to our subject matter here in spiritual warfare. You know, don't give up. Don't give up. Now, as part of that, though, I'd encourage you, sometimes I think what we need to do is pray and wait, okay? Just be patient. You know, God tells us love is patient, love is kind. I think that applies also to our love for the Father. Our love for the Father should be patient. So I think when we're looking for answers to prayer, 
We need to be patient. We can't expect results immediately. And just because he doesn't answer right away on the speakerphone doesn't mean you hang up on him, right? You, you hang in there. Because he's doing something in your heart, you know. Prayer is, I mean, it's like the stones who could have rejoiced when Jesus went by instead of the people. Okay, prayer is not primarily for God's sake. Prayer is for our sake. Because in the exercise of prayer, in the waiting, in the patient waiting, he's molding and stretching. He's stretching us and increasing our faith to get us to the point where he needs to have us be. Yeah, like that. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yes. Mm. Yeah, and I think we get tripped up. You know, we, we get tripped up sometimes because of that. You know, we want a results-oriented God. And sometimes, you know, the results don't come. That would make no sense. Exactly. At that point, we lose our dependence upon God. We're becoming gods in and of ourselves. And so we're losing that true power of prayer because it's not true prayer, true faith. And I have to be careful there because, you know, I heard a, I heard a pastor preach a sermon once about you know, faith, and if only people have a strong enough faith in their prayer, then, you know, things will happen. Um, you know, we had a friend who, you know, her and her husband lost their two-year-old daughter from uh, leukemia, you know, and she prayed, excuse me, she prayed as hard as she could to save the life of that little girl, and she lost her daughter, you know, and uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. And so there are times when we don't understand the sovereignty of God, you know, we may think we know, we may think we see the big picture, and yet we don't. In fact, on this side of, of heaven, you know, there are times when we're never going to know the answers. We're never going to see them. All right, I'm losing time here. Um, <laughs> okay, um, so I was thinking about, you know, the world. The Bible tells us that uh, regarding the existence of God, even the demons acknowledge that God exists, Okay. And I think the same thing applies sometimes to prayer. You know, even though unbelievers don't believe, what happens when, for example, the plane's going down, the engines quit, you know, and you're dropping altitude quickly? Suddenly, these unbelievers are praying. You know, where's that come from, right? So it's, it's funny how the world looks at us, I think, strangely with respect to prayer, and yet, when things are in a pinch, when things are tight, you know, they start praying. <laughs> praying to a God maybe they don't know, but for the first time they start praying. So, if the unbelievers do that, then clearly, you know, we need to be praying. We need to be praying regularly and consistently. So, the first point here on effective prayer is consistent prayer. In uh, Colossians 4, 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And what that means is you need to be in prayer regularly. It's not something where, you know, you decide to do it this week or that week or even this part of the day or the other part of the day. Um, you know, do it in the morning, do it during the day, do it in the evening, do it all the time. If you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. 
you know. It, it's there. It's accessible. You don't even need to get out of bed. Um, we also, I think, need to be intense in our prayer. If you look at Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, Jesus prayed more earnestly. Now, I find that interesting. Jesus is praying to God the Father, and the verse tells us Jesus prayed more earnestly. So initially, when he was praying, he felt like it wasn't quite what he needed to do. So Jesus, the Son of God, prayed more earnestly. What does that teach us? That teaches us not to give up. And even though we think we're praying, we should be like Jesus and at times pray even more earnestly. There are, of course, all kinds of prayer. Um, you know, ACTS is a great acronym. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Um, you know, I think often we get skewed in our prayers, and we need to remember that our prayers aren't always the supplication part of it, you know. Uh, it's not always about us. It's not always about me. You know, it's something the teenagers need to learn. It's not all about me. And same thing with prayer, you know. It's not all about me. Sometimes your prayer is for yourself. Sometimes your prayer is for someone else. You know, sometimes it's intercessory prayer. And that's point number six there. I'm moving all over my outline, but I, I referred to there, and these aren't biblical concepts or, or terms, but I referred to the cycle of reciprocity of prayer, okay? And that is, you know, I pray for you, and you may be praying for me, or you may be praying for another brother or sister in the Lord, and they're going to be praying for someone else. You know, I remember once I, I went on a, a mission for a, a whole summer, and at the time, I felt like I was losing my sister, my biological sister. She was losing her faith. I was very, very concerned about her, and she was. I mean, she was, she was living a lifestyle that was not a godly lifestyle, and I thought we were going to lose her, and she would never come back to the faith. So I prayed earnestly for my sister for weeks and weeks and weeks, not being able to communicate with her because of where I was, very concerned about my sister. Well, in the meantime, I was actually engaged in spiritual warfare in the mission field I was on. And talking to my mother, my mother said, Theo, I was praying for you earnestly because you were in a situation that I thought was overwhelming. And I was, as a mother, very concerned about you. So while I was praying earnestly for my sister, my mother was praying for me. I think the same thing applies to the body of Christ, right? We, apply, we, we pray for each other. And we're all in different walks of life. We're at different levels of faith. We pray for each other where we feel the need. And sometimes, and this is another factor, I think we need to move with the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes puts in your heart, pray for that person. You may not know why, but he tells you pray. Well, don't neglect that. You know, don't walk away from that. If the Spirit is telling you pray for that person, then do it. Be obedient. And pray for that person. That person needs your prayer for some reason. I don't know how many of you read um, chapter 13 in the book, but there's an amazing account there about the 26 men praying. Um, if you read that chapter, what happened was this missionary was in Africa, and he saw two guys fighting, and he saved the life of the one guy, okay? And then shortly thereafter, he, he met with the guy, and the guy said, well, the night after you rescued me, we actually followed you into the jungle thinking you had money and medicines and we were going to rob and kill you. But we didn't because there were 26 men that were guarding you. And the missionary said, um, no, 
I was alone in that jungle that night. And the man from Africa said, oh no, we saw it. I counted the men, and the men that were with me counted the men. We had six guys, and we were going to attack and kill you, but we didn't because we knew those 26 men were guarding you. And the missionary was perplexed. He didn't understand what was going on. Well, he went back to the States later. It's an amazing account. And he talked to his church. And at the time, there had been one man who'd been, it sounds like putting something in his trunk or whatever, and he felt this really strong need to pray for the missionary overseas. So not only did he pray for him, but he gathered 25 other men with him to pray. So there were 26 men in this congregation in Michigan praying for this missionary in Africa. Well, there were 26 figures that God placed that prevented this missionary from getting hurt in Africa. An amazing account, an amazing story. So just my encouragement that when the Spirit leads you to pray, do it. You know, don't hesitate. Drop everything. Start praying because there's a reason why he's putting that in your heart. Also, I think we need to have faithful prayer. Um, that's my point number four, and I've kind of coined a new phrase there, faithful with two L's instead of one L. Faithful prayer. When we pray, we have to pray with faith, okay? We know God tells us we have the faith to move mountains. How many of us actually believe that? Okay. And when the disciples were trying to cast out the one demon who could only come out with prayer, Jesus said, you twisted and faithless generation. Okay? Twisted, I think, because they didn't understand the power of prayer. And faithless because their faith wasn't strong enough. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that God could do this thing. So I think when we pray, we need to pray with faith. My dad, when I was growing up, he would t talk to me about aura et labora. You know, he's a hardworking immigrant. Aura meaning pray and labora, the Latin word for work. Pray and work, pray and work. But what always caught me was that that was missing one element. And that was faith or belief or trust. So, you know, I'd rather coin the phrase, and aura and labora was something from the Middle Ages, a phrase that, you know, you'll find all over the history books. But aura et labora and credo, and that is, Pray and work and believe. You know, have the faith. When you pray, pray with faith. And then lastly, um, and I'd like to open up for some Q&A as well, but um, the spiritual condition factor is something I put in here. And that is, I think where our hearts are at affect our prayers, okay? And the Bible gives us various concrete examples of that. Um, if you look, for example, at 1 Peter 3, 17, and I think this is an instruction to us men. It says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are being with you. I'm sorry. I can't read my own hand. Oh, they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what's that say to us men? It says when we are harsh with our wives, when we are not understanding to our wives, it's going to hinder our prayers. And, you know, some of us men have probably experienced that. You know, everything else in our, in our world, in our lives are, you know, pretty much in order. They seem like they're going well. But we're harsh with our wives. We're hard on our ladies. And then we wonder why our prayers aren't effective. Well, the verse in 1 Peter right there says... 
If you're not understanding your wife with your wife, it's going to hinder your prayers. Now, what is the connection there? I don't know. You know, I don't know why it is being harsh with your wife is going to hinder your prayers, but the Bible tells us it will. So I think, especially us men, we need to be careful. We need to love our wives and be understanding towards them and be compassionate or our prayers will be hindered. So that's one spiritual condition. Um, another one is, and I love this one, and this is James 5, 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, have you ever had a righteous person pray for you? I have. You know, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, I think is another translation. And if you are righteous in the Lord, brothers and sisters, you know, your prayers mean a lot. You're a righteous person. It's going to avail much. Have the faith that it will. And if you're not righteous, then get your heart right, you know, because people do need your prayers. This is warfare. This is conflict. We can't afford not to have everybody out there engaged in the battle. So if you don't believe you're righteous, if there's something unrighteous in your life or in your heart, get rid of it. We don't need it. Because when we're out there in the warfare, we need everybody full on, fully engaged, hearts in the right place. And then another third, um, a third point is praying with the right motives. Okay? The Bible talks about how, you know, some prayers were not being answered, some people were getting sick, some people were getting ulcers, tumors, some people were dying, people were not being healed. Sometimes we're praying with the wrong motives. Okay? And that might go to the acts and the supplication part of it. Um, we need to check our motives. We need to check them continually. Again, this is not about us. This is about God and God's kingdom. We are instruments of his peace. We are warriors. You know, we are prayer warriors for the battle, for the God's battle. It's, this is not about us. And so often I think we, we look at ourselves and think the whole world revolves around us, you know. Well, just look at the freeway, and you see every person driving down the freeway. Every one of those people has their own little life, their own little concerns, their own little anxieties and what they're concerned about. They're going somewhere. Yeah, you're going somewhere, and you, that's where your focus is. But you know what? There are thousands, millions of other people that are going in different places too. It's not about you. No, this is about God, God's kingdom, and God's glory. Okay, let's talk about successful prayer and deliverance from evil. Does anyone have any um, examples of where you have prayed for someone and you actually saw successes in that prayer that you'd like to share with us? <clears throat> yes, Tim. Nine months, nine months later, he was, uh, nine, nine months later, this neighbor that we prayed for, completely cancer-free. Mm. And it was, it was all about, th that's what Jesus wanted to do. Because my friend and I, we both saw Jesus sitting there next to him. Mm. And so we knew, Jesus wants to do this. We're in union with Jesus. Let's, let's do this. I think that goes back to what you were sharing from James 5. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. Mm. The worldly view is, hey, this prayer has got to go viral. Pass this on to all your friends. You know, if we can get two million, at least a million people praying, then maybe we can do something. But if this is something that God wants to do, 
and God wants you to do it, you plus God, you're in the majority. Let's, you know, make it happen. And that's, that's the difference between the way that God views, pr you know, prayer in, in, in the real, the way things are versus the way the world views it. Yep. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone have an experience where you diligently prayed for someone and then you waited? And then after you waited, the answer came. Okay. All right. I didn't ask anyone in advance. Sometimes it helps to do that. Go ahead. Well, we, we've seen on a few occasions, uh, it's, it's not just prayer. It's not just been prayer, but it's the, it's the prayer of people in community and the keeping of... Uh, the, well, I don't know how to, whether it's pressure or, yeah, I'm thinking of Marco. Uh, and there have been others where it's been a combination of prayer and being in community with people that has turned their lives around. Mm -hmm. they, they, they were suicidal, um, Indolent in in uh, in tr in their relationship with work, sort of out of work and looking for work, but indolent in the process and and just stuck. And uh, it's been a combination. And, and and I'm thinking uh, Joyce and I are thinking of one guy in particular, hmm. but we've seen others, uh, you know, and uh, it was a process. And it was a process of prayer and community. Yeah. Go ahead, Joyce. I've actually seen um, people who, as they examine their past and, and things that they had done or been done to them, as they engaged the memories of those things in prayer, God cleansed their hearts mm -hmm. and changed them from bitter and angry and hurt and victimized to victorious and I've seen that come through prayer because when you're talking to God about something he can turn your thoughts and transform your mind yeah one of my favorite prayers is to you know pray that God soften my heart or soften the heart of someone that I think has a hard heart you know sometimes you don't know what to pray and that kind of goes to my point here of prayer for the known about the unknown and for the unknown you know, sometimes you don't really know what you're praying for. Sometimes the situation seems so hopeless, or maybe you're only getting one side of the story, so you don't see the big picture. You know, sometimes you don't know what to pray for. Just pray. You know, God knows. God knows the big picture. Does he know the big picture? Yes, he knows the big picture. He sees it all, okay? He wants you to be praying. Get down on your knees and pray. Start praying, because... To the extent you don't know what to pray for, he does know what to pray for, and you've got the ingroning of that spirit 
and the Spirit hears it. He just needs you to humble yourself and pray and be part of the, part of the solution. All right, um, I think we're running out of time here, so let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord God, what an amazing tool you've given us uh, in prayer. We pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us for faithless prayer, that you'd forgive us for inconsistent prayer. Lord, that you'd forgive us for disrupted prayer or for prayer that is not focused on you, but is prayer that's not just talking to you, but we're thinking about other things. Lord, forgive us for not seriously taking what you've told us. Now forgive us when we're in that two-way communication with you from looking at something else or not believing that this is important. Lord, this is your battle. We know it's your battle. We pray that you would teach us that you would increase our faith and you take away our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.